Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. Happy Monday to you. Hello, Mr. Mouse. What a great episode we have. Oh my God, I've been waiting so patiently for this to come out. I think since MGK mm. is the one that I was most thrilled with while it was happening. She's so smart. Yes, she's so smart. She's Emotionally and intellectually, the coming together of all of that is this and an very... incredibly good writer. Like, I actually love her writing. And she's written a book called I'm Glad My Mom Died. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to learn how one would come to write a book called I'm Glad My Mom Died. But it's an incredible book. You probably fell in love with her on iCarly or Sam and Cat. She's also a writer and a director. Maybe she's retired. Maybe she's not. We get into it. Yeah. I kind of urged her to take a day at a time. Yeah. Which is advice I try to give myself. Yeah, she was great. There's a lot to take from this episode, and I think all our armchairs will enjoy it. And all the trigger warnings. It's all in yes. this episode. Of course, yes. I love that. <laughs> it's my my favorite kind of episode, yeah. but probably all the trigger warnings. Yeah. Some eating stuff, some abuse. It's an incredible story that she tells with such bravery yeah. and honesty and understanding. Exactly. I loved her. Please enjoy Jeanette McCurdy. We are supported by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So make sure you create stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. It's a must for your professional life and so easy to use. Just grab one of their designer-made templates or use the power of AI to generate something in seconds. Then add what you need. You can even pull images, graphs, and more from their massive library. And boom, you're done. I have a few friends who've used it for fun, like, invitations or itineraries, and it does look so professional and nice. Yeah, it's clean and classy. And the best part, you need zero design experience to get a really high-end looking product out of it. And 90% of Fortune 500 companies trust Canva to help them get the job done. Get your work done and make it look good with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com, C-A-N-V-A.com, designed for work. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow-roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. He's an Which parts did you go? I went I to why. Naples, Capri, Rome. Those are some good one ones. One other one, yeah. Did you go to Florence? Florence. I did go to Florence. Florence I liked best. Okay. I have a guess for that already. Why it didn't suit you so Tell well. Me. It's an OCD person's nightmare. <laughs> Italy in general. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like nothing's actually straight on a wall. Nothing's perfect. <laughs> yes. Austria you'd love. Everything's it's, crumbling down. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's graffiti, the bathroom stink. Nothing's There's on a, the, time. No, and we've been talking about this a lot since I got home. It's a fucking trade. So Austria, mm. everything is perfect. You would be in heaven. It it's like the whole country regimented. has like an OCD edict. Well, it used to be Nazis. 
Well, yeah, everyone knows that. That's so where I, Hitler was I had born. to bring it up because that's yeah. why. That's yeah. the history. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then the trade-off is there's not a vibe. Mm. And then we went to Italy, and I'm like, this place is a mess, and I'm horny. <laughs> <laughs> and hungry. So romantic. You know what I'm saying? It's like all of a sudden my spirit was alive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can have both. Now I kind of want to go to Italy. I've been looking for something to like make my spirit come alive. I'm feeling a little Ooh. like I need something that's a thing. Yes. Or Spain. I feel like Spain yeah. is similar. Romantic. Because you've like, been or because you're going? I'm going. <laughs> right. I, just, <laughs> I wanted to see if it was your I've fantasy. I've never been or... and I'm going. I was going to ask you, have you ever read any Esther Perel or do you know who she is? Yes, I love Esther Perel. Her podcast is great. Oh, yeah. It seems like you might be in search of eroticism. And I don't mean getting fucked, Ooh. but her definition <laughs> of eroticism. Okay. Yeah. Like a hunger for life and yes. all the things that that entails, all the sensual parts of it. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I come from a lot of dysfunction uh-huh. and really just kind of like a roller coaster of a childhood and adolescence. And I don't have anything that's that roller coaster anymore. And I don't have any sort of self-destructive coping mechanism anymore. Yeah. And there's just kind of this like- Bored. Yes. Yeah. And I can't that's- fucking tolerate it. I'm going, what is it? What can I just want to fucking. Rah. Yeah. You know that feeling? It's more, more than used. anyone. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. used to smoke crack and yeah. fucking get in fist fights yeah. and crash motorcycles. Yeah. And then sobriety and accountability. <laughs> 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 so my hobbies are still nuts. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I kind of access it. You're sober, right? Well, no. Define. <laughs> I'd probably have a glass of wine once a month. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I drank a lot at the same time that I was really deep in the trenches of like eating disorders. I was in a type of therapy called DBT that really helps with any sort of addiction. What does DBT stand for? uh, Dialectical behavioral therapy. And is that how you talk to yourself? Cognitive behavioral therapy is also included in dialectical behavioral therapy, but there's like four different modules. There's mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness. uh, And two others. And two others. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. The ones that Um, didn't pertain to you as much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you learn skills with each specific module. You apply the skills that you learn to cognitive behavioral therapy. Is it that you identify the voice or you identify what your brain's telling you? Yep, the eating disorder voice, they call it. Right. And Very then you kind of try to step outside of it and just see it as a voice. Totally. I didn't recognize at the time that that was not my voice. I thought that was my voice. And yeah. then hearing that's a part of your voice, but that's something that we're going to learn to turn the dial down on. Yeah. And we're going to amplify your actual voice. But my DBT therapist had suggested, hey, let's not do any alcohol while you're working on the eating disorders because one can make the other worse. And you can just swap out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ping pong. Totally. I've done some swapping out in my day. After I got sober, I was like, okay, I have nothing to regulate my insides with. Oh, sex is a good option. Approval from females is a good option. That kind of filled the hole for a minute. I had some moments where I was like, oh, this is viscerally the feeling I would have at my dealer's house. Mm. Like, pick up the bass. Okay, Mm. I don't want to hear about your day. Just measure the shit out and give it to me. Like that terrible craving Mm. where I can't see anyone's humanity in front of me because all I want is the thing. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, this is treading very close to that. This is a big, big problem. Do you identify as a sex addict? I don't, but I don't know if I weren't married to Kristen, if I wouldn't have gone at least to a handful of meetings to see. But I will say by the time I met Kristen, I already had my arms around it. I was just very much looking at it as like, oh, right, this is another external thing you're trying to regulate your self-esteem with. And you end up in AA. Right. I was already sober. I was like three years sober and I would get hangovers from it. I would feel the next day like, oh, my God, you're a piece of shit. So. I dialed it off. 
I would say I'm guilty of intriguing in the past. You know that term? Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm very familiar. Okay, great. Wait, are you an SLI or are you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful, uh-huh. wonderful. Yeah, so that's a term I totally identify mm-hmm. with is like if I meet someone, and again, worse years ago, but I need to know, would you be in love with me? <laughs> I don't feel safe unless I think maybe you would be in love with me. I can trust you if you're in love with me. I can't trust you if you're not. Yeah. Oh, this great. I wish the look of recognition right now (laughs) on your face is wonderful. It's deep. Are you in program at all? No. Okay. I wouldn't discount some potential love addiction, but I don't think any sex addiction. The fantasy (laughs) building you relate to. Big time. Really? Yes. Building out a whole life with a stranger. So much fantasy, so much projecting of what that would be, what it feels like, feeling the feelings of Living the relationship. Yes. When I'm not in one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's really shocking. Does it get distracting from your real life? Yeah. Oh, used to for sure. I haven't felt like that in a long time. Well, can I argue something? You've filled your cup with a lot of other things. Also, my confidence has changed, and I think that's affected it. Yeah. Brought me back down to earth a little bit because I think so much of it came from, well, I'm not going to get that in real life. My brain was compensating for that. Like, you're not going to get that because you don't deserve it. You're not worth it. Mm. You're not worthy of love. But we want you to have those feelings. So we'll take you down this path where Mm. you can project and have fantasies. You said your confidence changed? It got better. Why? I think this show has a lot to do with it. We got to check some things off your box. Career? Okay, check. Done. I own a house across the street. It's easy to place it on external boxes, but I think it's more just being around people who I would have placed above me, quote, status-wise. Like, oh, obviously this person is better than me. Mm. When I'm sitting with them, I'm like, oh, no, we're all the same. That has, I think, been huge for me. And that's made me feel better about myself. Yeah. Okay, back to you. Yeah. You did a great job. You got us off you for a good <laughs> yeah, uh, nine minutes there. I applaud you, and it's my same technique. I yeah. think what's interesting is originally it was just Sex Anonymous, and that was kind of more of a dude-centric thing, which the is like they're getting— was all about men and, like, wives, be supportive. Yes, <laughs> and prostitutes and all yeah, these yeah. things. Then SLA came, Love Addicts Anonymous. That's the only meeting I went to. And it just seemed to line up pretty nicely gender-wise, where most of the females in there were more exploring love addiction and the men were more in sex addiction. Yeah, I definitely resonate more with the love addiction. I haven't had a ton of sexual partners, but I do relate to the feeling, the craving, the unhealthy relationship with sex and what that means for me and what it represents for me, especially early on in relationships, really needing that to feel worthy and valuable and loved and questioning why would somebody be with me if we didn't have sex the time that I saw them? Like it was really attached to my worth. It's a very literal act of approval. So if you like leave the house of the boyfriend and you didn't want to do that, you're like, wait a minute, it's all coming apart. Totally. And I also think that it felt like a thing that I could be good at and I knew how to perform that piece and I didn't know how to access true intimacy. So I'll have the sex and do that part and just hope that that's enough. And of course it isn't. Well, and you're a master human reader because of your childhood. You're like picking up the tiniest little nuances of people. Sure, sure. So I'm sure you're great at observing your partner and figuring out exactly what this person wants and desires. Yeah. You have a superpower, I'm sure, because of your relationship with your mother. I've tried to 
look at it that way because it definitely did not feel that way for so long and felt just like, I want to fucking get rid of this piece that's always doing the calculating and so hypervigilant to everybody's cues around me. It felt like it crippled me from being able to be authentic and from being able to be present. It's still going on. Like it's going on right now. And yeah, I just have to go, okay, let's just take a back seat. It's okay. I know that you're trying to help me, but you're not helping right yeah. now. <laughs> you're really not. A kind of famous actor, comedian I heard say, I've been so busy my whole life making sure that you like me that I don't know what I like. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, damn, that's pretty deep. Oh, my God. That hits hard. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, you're wow. just so distracted by what the other... You wouldn't even consider what you want or mm. like. Do you feel that in any way? I don't. Now, I have all mm. the spidey senses, mm -hmm. but I went a different route, I think, than you. A, I relate to so many things. It sounds like a cop-up, but really the reason I was late is I really got sucked into your book. You're a fucking <laughs> great writer. The story, of course, I'm super attracted to any trauma-filled story where sure, someone's sure. wrapping their hands around it. But I think I also lived in pretty big fear of people not being perfectly regulated and then what would happen. But then I think my reaction was, I'm going to defeat that. I'm biding my time to get big enough to control everyone else, to fight back, to be demonstrative to be all these things so that I'm never a victim of anyone else's up and down mood. So because of that, I do think I know what I like. Now, I'm still like crazy approval junkie and all that. And I get so much self-esteem and worth out of what high status person likes me or is attracted to me. But at the same time, I will figure out how to steer this so that I'm not a victim of their whimsy and their lack of good planning. Yes. Right? Like totally. avoid the chaos. Yes. But in a controlling way, super traditionally codependent, I'm going to love an alcoholic and go down with the ship. So do you think that's different from your version? No, it sounds very similar. I definitely want to feel as much control as I can in a situation to feel safe. I think that trying to understand the deep, very minute changes in the environment, that hypervigilance, I think, is to try and control, be in front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first things first, is Tops the best pastrami what? in the world? <laughs> Wait, I went what? on your Instagram page today. <laughs> There's a picture of you in front of Tops, the world's best pastrami. <laughs> what? Let me look it up. And I've heard of it so many times. It's really? called Tops, right? Let me look. No. Well, hold on. This is she important. does not seem to know what you're talking about at all. I had a pastrami, but it wasn't even that. It was a Philly cheesesteak from Booze, and that was really good. Oh, okay. But <laughs> so I don't know what Tops is rumored to be the best pastrami in the city. I haven't been, and I love pastrami. You did a, quite a photo shoot in front of Tops. <laughs> And my first thought was, which I would say this is proof of my growth in the SLA department. I was not distracted by you at all. I went straight to tops like pastrami. What do we got? Oh, I can't wait to ask her if it was delicious. Is it worth the drive? <laughs> You'll find it. You'll find it tonight when you're surfing around. Okay. I want to get that out of the way. Second thing I want to get out of the way is that you write your book in present tense. I find that really challenging. Have you always written in present tense? It's my preferred because I find that I get too wistful and like nostalgic and like oh, poetic. God. This is the thing that I learned way back when. Saccharine. It's just, yeah, I go there and I hate when I go there if I'm in the present tense. I think mm. there's a lot of more humor. Hopefully it doesn't feel forced. No, That's it's very smart. funny in a sarcastic, wonderful way. Thank it's you. the right amount of nod to how absurd everything is. Thank you. Okay, so painting the picture, you're from Garden Grove. It's like, I don't know, 70 minutes away, depending on traffic. And you're from a Mormon family. Yes. And you're the youngest of four. As I was reading your thing, I was like, you could have a book just based on growing up Mormon, growing up the youngest of three other boys. 
And then a mother who the book is largely about. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. You know, it's a catchy title. So to me, it seems like we should start when you're two and your mother gets diagnosed with breast cancer. But I do have some questions about the Mormonness. And I want to say all this respectfully because we have a lot of Mormon listeners. I have a lot of Mormon friends. To me, religions are religions. My attack generally revolves around anything that supports intense patriarchal control over women. Any side of the religion that has that element, I think I'm happy to be critical of that. Was that present in your household? Who was Mormon first? Were both your parents raised Mormon? So was my grandmother on my mom's side. She was born in Eureka, Utah, and didn't really attend service at all, but was baptized Mormon. And then my family really started going to church once my mom got diagnosed with cancer. I see it as a very direct result, a very direct plea with God, help me get better. I'll be this good Mormon. I'll do what you'd like. And I don't think it was any coincidence that we kind of started to drop off and not go to church as much, the better that she got. What about dad? He wasn't raised Mormon? He was not raised Mormon and didn't ever seem involved or particularly invested. Just kind of seemed like he'd sit in the ceremony and tune out. But I did sense the patriarchal control. Early on, I caught like a whiff of it in a lesson that we had in primary class about how women really needed to learn sewing and focus on washing dishes. And it just sounded really boring to me. And I, I at the time was already acting and I'd like raised my hand to ask a question about something to do with work. And Sister Jusha, I love such Shout out, <laughs> shout out, sister. Uh, she had a lovely little golden blonde perm. She was like, women don't need to work. Our focus really should be on supporting the men in the house. And then had commented on my legs not being crossed. Because no. I was kind of sitting uh, just, you know, look a little slouch. Both of our legs are actually <laughs> Future SLA right member is what it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, man. We can laugh about it. It started early. It really yeah. started. <laughs> a little rubbing on the couch. <laughs> Your dad doesn't seem a part of the story in a weird way. He wasn't in life. He, he really was not there. He just seemed truly tuned out. To deal with your mother's eccentricities. We'll say it nicely <laughs> right now. Nicely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. euphemize it now. Yeah. He would kind of intervene if my mom got completely erratic and violent, which she did oftentimes get. He would then plead with her, can you get help? Can we do something about this? But he wouldn't really step in to protect us kids unless it was at that. Like a physical level. Yeah, exactly. Uh And then it was sort of like, this needs to change now. But then my mom wouldn't or couldn't hear it and didn't seem to want to change. How did he even end up with her? They were high school sweethearts. Oh, they were? Yeah. Okay. What city? In California? In Long Beach, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So until your mother gets breast cancer, you guys start going to church a lot. And she gets chemo, she gets surgery, she gets bone marrow, she gets everything. Yeah. Right? It's a harrowing experience. Mastectomy, mm, yeah, all of it. A what? A mastectomy. Oh, mas- yeah, I yeah. thought you said a vasectomy. Oh. I was like, wow, this is a wow. term I wasn't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and to me, I guess chronologically, this is where it starts getting weird. She has a videotape of the experience. Bald in the hospital, you guys there. And then she plays it pretty often. Growing up, yeah. For you guys? For us, she went into remission. The doctors said to her face, or so I'm told, this is miraculous. It defies our medical understanding was the phrase that she returned to often. But she would play this video for us. We would have like a weekly viewing of it, usually after church. And it was her singing us songs with the intention of this is going to be kind of the memory that my kids will have of me. I'm going to sing each of their favorite songs to them, their bedtime songs. And she would replay this video every week for us to watch and really wanted us to be kind of sad when we were watching it and really live in the tragedy and the trauma of what that was like. 
And she would single out and praise your one brother because it was too much for him to even handle and he'd have to go and yeah. sit in the hallway. Oh, and and yeah. She liked she that. Liked. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. My brother Marcus would have to go off in the hallway because he couldn't handle it. He was the oldest. And she would always say like, wow, Marcus, look at him. He just couldn't handle it. But in this very like romanticized, like literary way. he was way. proving his love for her by showing pain. Yeah, and she'd get quite mad at me because I was singing Jingle Bells. I was two. So, and yeah. I was just like, Jingle Bells, like screaming. Yeah. I don't know why I was doing that. Maybe I sensed that it was too heavy and I was trying to make it You would probably lighter. disassociate yeah, or something. Yeah, right? Okay, you have like a sledgehammer of a sentence in there that says, she needed us to be nothing without her. Oof. Oh, fuck. Yeah. But just pop out while you're writing or was that something you came to in therapy? It's all very well I'm writing. Yeah. You know, your mother reminded me just from this phase already of someone who's got Munchausen, but she actually yeah. was sick. But there's like some weird Munchausen desire to stay sick. I yeah. relate to that so much. You know, that show, The Act. Was that or, with that little or, girl the, yeah, yeah, by yeah. proxy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You're thinking of Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, which was a documentary. And then of, there the, is, of the people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of the same yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I relate a little too much to that. I'm like, feels like home. <sighs> yeah, it's a very, very similar story. So, yes, constantly every Sunday showing the video under the guise of this is so we all feel grateful. It almost is like have gratitude, let God know we're happy. Very self-indulgent, very, I think, disturbing way of approaching any of that, which of course I didn't know at the time. And you're not hip to what's going on in other houses. Maybe everyone's watching videos. Exactly. Maybe every parent needs to be. Do. Well, yeah, we were also homeschooled. So there's oh. the Mormon aspect of like being really kind of sheltered and protected and not really knowing in any way how the world actually works. And then there's being a kid yeah. and then there's being homeschooled. So it was just kind of shelter on shelter on shelter. So she seems to me like a clinical narcissist. Yes. She never went to therapy. My grandpa and my dad would beg her to go to therapy, never would work on herself. She would read like the Woman's World columns, self-help columns, but that's the extent of really what her self-work looked like. And in therapy afterward, when I would explain the situation, you know, they say they can't diagnose, they haven't seen the person, but three therapists had said that they think my mo mother probably had some combination or all of borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. Mm. That's a lot to grow up with. <laughs> you start us out with a birthday wish, and it's basically like, I hope my mom doesn't die this year. And also your mother gets you this terrible outfit you hate to wear at your birthday party, and you tell her, I absolutely love it. And you know that you have to keep her in the black. You already know that somehow. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about two things. The Wow, I almost picked the wrong word that's really damaging, actually. I think it's kind of what has been hardest for me in like confronting being molested, which is I was almost going to say the willingness, which is totally mm. not fair. Mm. I was going to say like, what gave you the willingness to placate her? Was it fear she was going to be dead in a year and that you had better give her this great life? But by the way, that's the wrong word, willingness. I'm sure there was zero choice but to be that way. But I'm just curious if you can unravel what part of it is maybe a limited time with her or... I don't want to anger her because it'll come back. Or just when I anger her, life is so insufferable. Do you remember what the motivation was? Mm. Well, now I'm curious also about how willingness was damaging. Okay, this is my two cents on it. I've never read a book that suggests this, and this will probably be dismissive to other people who've been molested or assaulted. My own personal journey with it was you admit it, then everyone says it's not your fault. And then that's supposed to be kind of a cure-all. But I still was like, no, some of it was my fault. And the part I actually got to where I realized the real guilt was, is like, I did not want to be there. 
my body said, don't be here. And I chose to be there because I wanted this other thing. And so I had to first be honest about that to then forgive myself for that. Because again, I was eight. I can imagine someone saying, why were you there? And me feeling hurt by that. Like, why would you have been there? Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you run? Why didn't you all these things? That's just my own thing, which is like, I first had to just admit, I knew not to be there in some way. Like I did feel bad feelings, but I just plowed through them because I wanted something else. Um, And I think a lot of people can relate to that. For everyone that wasn't like, someone didn't jump out of a van and kidnap them, whether it was they wanted their parents' love, they wanted this stranger's affection to continue, whatever the thing, there's just a hint of like, well, I did know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was coming per se, but I knew my spidey senses were like, this is bad. I do relate to it. I feel like the word willingness is fitting. How sort of strategic can you be as a kid? But I think there was some element of seeing how my brothers operated and knowing that that didn't yield the best result. And I think I could sense that from an early age. If I behaved a certain way, if I just knew mom better than anybody else knew her, I would have more attention, more love, more affection, more approval. And I did get those things. Yeah. She would call you her best friend. Yes. And gave me much more attention than my brothers, which is something I still experience guilt about. Yeah. Although, oddly, they probably didn't get as much of the damage from it, having not had to be the person regulating her. Right. Or even thinking of one of my brothers, Justin, who was sort of the most overtly, he would talk back, he would kind of make sarcastic remarks. I see him as being really the bravest growing up to be able to do those things and know that she threatened to kick him out or her thing was always threatening to put us up for adoption if one of us did something that she didn't like. That's a safe feeling. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's literally all... My favorite when she was driving, she'd pull the car over like as if Uh, she was actually going to do it. She was just going to drop us off on the corner of Springdale and Lamplighter. I'm going to (laughs) return all you guys. (laughs) These things are defective. Right. But my brother, Dustin, he was the second oldest. He was told, you're my least favorite child. He was told these things that I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I never want to go anywhere near things like that. So I'm not going to do what Dustin's doing. It's not a survival. That's why I said willingness is weird because it is just to survive. It's just what you had to do. It's not out of manipulation. Here's where we get into the tricky part. It comes with this really huge upside, which is you're insanely good at reading people. You can manipulate, not in a cancerous way, or at least this is my skill set. You know, it's like, I really know how to massage everything around everybody so it doesn't explode. And that's so useful (laughs) in a workplace if you're a boss. Are there specific instances or types of people where you feel like the senses go down a little bit? They're not as powerful. You're not as able to access them. People that I, my powers are rendered useless on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hate to say that, but I don't think so. Wow. I think I can figure out pretty quickly what people want. And then I feel like if I know what people want, I feel safe. What they want might not be a bummer for me. That's like a big trump card. It's ironic, though, and interesting. And I don't know if you'll agree or feel the same, but when you're a person like that who can... Like me. Like you. Uh And you're searching for safety. So that's why all of this is happening. You're putting your safety first, which we all have to do. But it can make relationships around you unsafe. It can make that person feel unsafe because if you're holding 100% of the power, if you know how to like pull this lever to make this person feel like this, that is scary for other people to be around someone who can at any moment affect how you feel. I do need to add this though, just so you know, I'm not conscious of this. 
I'm smart enough to know this about myself, but I'm just marching through life. Right. I'm at Starbucks and I'm saying hi to this person and then I'm trying to make that person happy. And generally the outcome is positive. Like I'm mostly just trying to put everyone in a good mood and I'm not going like, oh, this is so I'll feel safe or this is so I have control over that. That's not front of the mind. That's just who I am now since I've been three years old. I have enough awareness to realize why I'm that way. I don't think it's an accident I'm that way. And I'd argue everyone has it. I think your thing is I have you're it. a chameleon, yeah. right? And I could say, well, then the people around you feel like they have an inauthentic version of you, but I don't mm. feel that way. I mean, that could be an outcome of it, mm -hmm. but I don't feel that way. But if someone felt that way, I'd be like, I guess I get it based on my experience through life. That's interesting you say chameleon. I think it's more like what you're saying. Like I can read what people want. I can mm. be that for them. The older I've gotten, the less... I'm willing to do that. I can, but I'm like, I don't have the energy to do that anymore. I don't <laughs> have the energy to be like, you need this for me. I guess I'm going to bend over to do it. No, thank Like, no. Same. Like over time, I'm not as threatened by people being in the place that I'm afraid they're going to go to. Yeah. I can live with people being upset the older I get. I recognize it's not a threat to my safety anymore, but it feels like a threat to your safety always, right? Definitely. I still struggle with that. I still struggle with, oh, if I don't do this thing that I know this person wants me to do, then they're going to be upset and my nervous system feels it. What in happens the next when they're upset? And for most people, nothing. They're upset for an hour, yeah. but it's hard to learn to trust that, that people can have their emotions. You can let them have their emotions and you're not moving to another town afterwards, Yes, which would be my experience. Yes. Okay. So mom, when you're six, she says, in so many words, you'd be a great actor. You're going to be an actor. I wanted to be an actor. My parents didn't let me be one. And now I'm going to give you the childhood that I had deserved and I wanted. She had spoken of wanting to be an actress. It was one of her heavily rotated stories. I really wanted to be an actress. My parents wouldn't let me. I would have been a great actress. Could have been up on the big screen. It was always oh, wow. like she was sure that she would have been so <laughs> successful and so good at it. And the love fantasy. Like she'd feel a certain way. Yes. She'd be stable in that world. People would love her. Yeah. yeah. I'd never thought of it that way, but... God, yeah. You're young. How old are you? I just turned 30. Oh, okay. Yeah. Happy birthday. Hey, what is you. just? June 26th. Can I say just? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think within a month window, you're pretty good. You're okay. so evolved for 30. <laughs> I tomorrow. Really? Yeah. You obviously had to do a lot of introspection. I yeah. feel like I was evolved for 25, and now I feel like oh, I'm behind. No, I don't think so. So... <laughs> You get after it. She's like, you're going to be an actor. And now you start auditioning. Here's where I would love some detail. You mm -hmm. don't want to do it at first, obviously. Mm -hmm. You're nervous when you get up there. Terrified. Peed a thousand times before auditions. Would cross out my name and re-sign it in. Was physically shaking. Just petrified to be doing it. Six years old. Yeah. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. I don't even understand how my seven-year-old would understand what an audition was. <laughs> I don't know how I'd convince no. her that it's time to do the thing because she'll do it when she wants to do it. I don't know how I even get a six-year-old to do it. I think the upbringing helped. I was just kind of a little soldier. I think she just knew how much I cared and how much I wanted to please her versus my brothers where she could maybe try to convince them, but she'd kind of be dragging them along. I can trust that what's happening behind closed doors is what I would like to be happening behind closed doors. Yeah. And now here's this immediate situation where you'll have to betray her. That's what's so fascinating. In their very first audition to go get an agent, mm -hmm. she's coached you to be a terrible actor. Yeah. 
right? Yes. So I mean, much she would have been a terrible actress. She would have been awful. Right? We know this immediately. <laughs> she would have been a bad actor. And even if her parents supported it, it wouldn't have happened for her because she wasn't good. And now she's convinced that if you do these things, yeah. she wanted you to gesture with your hands a lot. Yeah. And uh, really loud, really like a animated. lot of dynamic voices. Like, <laughs> really. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah be on like a, a TGI Friday commercial every time you were there. Out here. <laughs> Out here it's Monday, in here it's Friday. That was your best audition uh, ever. I, I had to do that audition more than once. <laughs> I went in for that audition several times. They okay. made a mistake. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done a good job. I couldn't get big enough or small enough. <laughs> but she's behind closed doors. Her mom's not there, and the guy kind of graciously enough gives you another shot at it and suggests that you just don't move your hands as much, and then that feels right to you. It felt right because it would happen so often where I would have to do it one way when I'm practicing with my mom. I mean, we would practice so many times. It'd be bigger, bigger. Oh my! Like a lion tamer. Hit hard, you are Jackie. You are Jackie. Just like vicious, you know, shaking her jaws like clenching. And then I'd go in and they'd be like, you can bring it down. So if that happens enough times, I'm like, okay, what she wants me to do doesn't work. So I'd practice it one way for my mom. And then I'd go into the room and do it a completely different way without telling her that I'm doing it a different way because I know that didn't work. And the ultimate goal is to get hired, which will make her happy. Yes. Holy fucking twistedness. It's hard enough, but to add the nine layers you're going through. But then weirdly, it's so distracting and you're really (laughs) only trying to make your mom happy that maybe it lessens the pressure in a bizarre way. I don't know. I will say once I caught on to the, okay, I need to do it a different way from her. And once my mind was kind of preoccupied with all that before going in, I started a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have the wherewithal to be embarrassed by her? That hit probably around 11. And then I felt so deeply ashamed of being embarrassed. So would hit our relationship and the friendship of our relationship even harder. So then it was like, okay, I don't really want to be like holding my mom's hand everywhere I go. I'm 11. I don't want to be still calling her mommy. I don't want to be attached to the hip when everybody else doesn't seem to be that way. But I could feel how deeply pained. I don't think that was her performing. I think she just needed the attachment. She couldn't handle that attachment not being there. And seeing the hurt in her eyes, I just felt like I couldn't tolerate it. Well, it would be killing her. Yes. And I think I was fearful of what would be on the other end of that. Once she got through the pain of that, then would come the anger. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow-roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Ollie. I love Ollie. Yeah, they're delicious, aren't they? Yeah, it's kind of annoying because I want to eat more. Yeah, well, yes, that is the only downside of Ollie's. You want to eat the whole jar. Now, as you all know, I have kids, and that means it's always about them. But look, I need some support too, and that's where Ollie comes in. My mom uses Ollie. She does. Yeah, and she has it out on the kitchen table so she won't forget. Oh, sure. So it's like a permanent decoration. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in the same way, my Ollie sleep aid is on the nightstand next to my bed. So it too is a permanent decoration. There you go. So this year, I'm doing wellness on my own terms, and so can you with delicious vitamins and supplements from Ollie. Go to Ollie.com, O-L-L-Y.com to discover the sleep, mood, and multivitamin supplements we take every day and get 15% off your first order by using the code SPOTIFY15. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So you start becoming successful. I mean, you're, you're booking commercials, you're making money, you're on every TV show that's on TV at that time. Well, we might as well bring up money now because that's part of the story. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, explain a Coogan account to people. A Coogan account is, oh God, I think it's 15% of your money, maybe 20% of your money that's set aside by law into an account called a Coogan account that you can't access until you're 18. She hit it hard of like, Most parents take all their kids' money except for this little amount that's in the Coogan and then the kids can access that when they're 18. But that's not your mommy. Your mommy is going to just take my salary plus essentials. And I never heard what these essentials were. exactly. What are the details of these quotes? It's not a word that would make it into a contract. Essentials is like feminine product. Well, (laughs) those are unmentionables. (laughs) Unmentionable essentials. How quickly into the fact that you start generating money, do you notice that she's spending it? She loved to be a martyr. So she was not changing her wardrobe. She really clung to her one safety pinned bra. She had one bra that was safety pinned. Your dad hit the lottery. (laughs) Oh my God, here she is again. That safety pin bra. Tonight, the night it'll break. Maybe it was from their first date in high school. It probably likely was. Yeah. Did she take the bra off with the class or the safety pin? That's a good question. (laughs) She took it off with the class. Which made me wonder what the purpose of the safety pin. I thought the safety pin was the class, but I didn't understand bras. I just saw it shining in the light. Yeah. She did buy a new car when I was 12. And the timing was a little suspicious. It was a big booking year for me. And when you were on a set, how much time did you have away from her? Because I'm wondering if being in the set life, which is so specific, did you have start having relationships with people that you could tell didn't depend on your approval? Were you getting a glimpse at that time? And were you already wishing mom gave you more space or no? I started to resent her and crave boundaries with her at the same time as the show started getting pretty popular. And I was experiencing getting recognized more and more. 
something about watching her relationship with that, she just looked so unstable in the way that she would interact with people approaching me. And it was like, Do you think she, she was afraid in those moments she was ultimately going to lose you? Like it was getting out of her hands? I think at first she loved it. Sure. Like, getting attention. Yes. By proxy. And then I think in some way, me getting famous almost shined a light on her not being me. I don't think she was fully capable of recognizing we were separate people until that happened. And then there was this turn in her where she suddenly would say incredibly jealous things and say like, I'm going to get my own fans. I'm going to create a Vine account. I'm going to make Vine videos and people are going to love my comedy videos. And it's like, how is this happening from the person who wanted this, who was orchestrating this from such an early age? Then all of a sudden she's mad that I have it. And I think it's because she was aware, well, it's actually not mine and it doesn't feel like mine. But prior to that, because you get on iCarly at what? I was 14. Before that, 11, she introduces calorie restriction to you. Yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to find compassion for her. I'm not there yet. So I just want to say, oh, what a fucking asshole. I imagine it's so different hearing from the outside. I mean, quite literally towards the end of this conversation, Mm. I'm willing to open up the door of compassion to her. But now's the time for anger. I'm so glad you mentioned anger. That was something I really struggled with after she died was accepting that anger, confronting the anger and allowing the anger to be there because I felt so guilty for feeling so angry. And like, how can I be mad at my mom who's dead? But I do think that allowing the anger to be there and really like fully making contact with it, which was very difficult and exhausting. I think it was so important to being able to find compassion. I don't think I actually would have had any legitimate compassion for her. I could have phoned it in and said, oh, I miss my mom. At this point, she's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Okay, so that's where we're at right now. I mean, (laughs) calorie restriction at 11 years old, you might as well be introducing someone to heroin. You think? Yeah, you're setting someone off on a path that can only lead to an eating disorder. Right. She was never able to overcome her experience with eating disorders. From an early age, she had anorexia and struggled with it for a long time. You know, in retrospect, I'm able to see, oh, yeah, she would always skip breakfast. And for lunch, she'd always have like a half of a chewy granola bar. And for dinner, she'd always have steamed vegetables. Like there were no cheat days. There were no cheat meals. Well, this is where we give her a little compassion is she doesn't know anything else but to restrict your calories. Like that is in her way, almost a form of love. Like this is how you're supposed to look. And I would be a bad mom if I didn't help you you get there. As complicated as it became for her once I did see success, I think she wanted me to be successful. And I think she wanted me to have a better life than she had. I think she knew mine wasn't easy. And I don't want her to struggle as much. So I want her to start out early, tasting some success and being able to have a better life. Oh, another thing I hate about her is she would talk <laughs> shit about your dad. That, I think that's like the grossest thing a married couple can do Thank to their you. children. I it's do agree. so yeah, gnarly. Bad for your kids. Yeah, yeah, like you're her girlfriend and she's going to be like, I could have done so much better than your dad. Constantly. Her favorite line was, I could have been with a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief. That's what she'd say. Yeah. Wow. And you inquired at one point, what Indian chief did you date? She's like, it's just a saying. But I did date a doctor. <laughs> I did date a doctor and he was very financially stable. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. She was very funny. She didn't know it, but now I see her her voice is just the way her cadence, the phrasing is so funny to me. She homeschooled you and she was a word file and wanted to teach you guys to be articulate and smart and all that, right? Yeah, so yeah. she had some obvious wherewithal. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the more devastating pieces to me is that I think she had the capacity to be really bright and helpful. 
what she could have been and how influential I think she could have been if she'd only channeled that thing in her for good instead of letting it be that toxic stranglehold. Yeah, yeah, destructive thing. I wish I could have seen it. You know, I'm sure everybody in my family does. We all saw there was something there. Yeah. And we're not there yet to compassion, but it's almost like she was putting everything into you. She somehow couldn't put into herself. She didn't show up for herself. Why? Yeah. But yeah. she showed up for you, in, albeit a fucking weird, toxic way. She gave it her all with you. Right. She drove across the city every day. She helped you, I'm sure, memorize auditions. Like she did all the things one would do to pursue their own career in acting. Yes. But never for whatever reason did that for herself. Well, I don't buy that my didn't parents didn't good. let me. At some point she's 19 and can do whatever the fuck she wants. So there's some other hurdle there that she didn't ever really believe she could have done that. Yes, yeah. exactly. She had the capacity to work hard. She had work ethic if it were for you. Yeah, I think she was better at getting me to have work ethic than she was at her own work ethic. She would kind of sleep in and kind of chores would maybe sure. happen, maybe not. And very kind of <laughs> intermittent functioning. But I think she's why I have work ethic. Left to my own devices, I think I'd be probably significantly lazier. You do do a lot of stuff. We'll get to that. I wonder, like, you in your bedroom writing this story is actually quite empowering. It helps you understand it a bit, does it, when you write it? Oh, yeah. And find closure. Where closure is, I think, so hard and maybe impossible. I almost think yeah. erroneous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, when people are like, I needed to call him to get closure. I'm like, no, you want to talk to your yeah. boy. You're, like, Don't, yeah. you're not going to get closure. Yes. It's, it doesn't happen. So... I guess this is the part that I would have the hardest time talking about, but the weird stuff where she wanted to be with you when you showered. Yes, that was the hardest to write about. I would kind of write the premise of each vignette and I couldn't write that one. That one I wrote, I think, a couple days before the final draft was due for the publisher. Yeah. I was just so resistant to it. It took a long time for me to even talk about in therapy, let alone put on a page and how to put it on a page and what to say about it. I just felt overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I've said on here publicly a trillion times I was molested and everyone in my life knows that. I've never, ever, not even Kristen walked her through all the details of it. And in my mind, I was not going to ever do that. I was like, that would be a perverse desire of yours to hear the details of it. But my new therapist was like, might be time to tell the whole thing. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, You know the important thing as a therapist. Mm. You know what follows that. And I did it. I do think it was one of the last things that needed to happen. Wow. And I definitely felt a second wave of lightness having done it. You know, the first huge wave is like just to tell, I'll never forget. I'm sitting on my hood of my car. I tell this friend of mine in high school mm. and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She didn't look at me and go, you weird fag. You know, like that's in my mm -hmm. mind what everyone in the world would do. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. And just that was this huge relief that lasted for a very long time. But then there was this second wave recently where I had told him every single tiny detail. And then I again, he didn't look at me and say, you know, you this and that. Was that emotional? I wasn't crying, but I took some time in some spots. I knew yeah. if I were to have plowed through it, yes, I probably would have lost control of mm. my voice and then I would have been weak. It's the worst when the, you feel your voice get out of your control and you're like <laughs> yes. feeling it go to different places. Like, why is it going? Uh, hold on, <laughs> why? <laughs> it betrays you the first, doesn't it? it? The does. voice. It does. Oh my God. Always. <laughs> Always. I'm proud um, of you. So me... Oh, thank you. That's good. I'm glad you did that. How often do you cry? 
I don't know. It's increasing. Is I'll it? say there's movement. Have you thought about what the walls are or what the... Oh, yeah. If I cry, you know you have the upper hand on me and you will then exploit it. <laughs> it's so fun, isn't it? <laughs> Crying? Just this. Oh, well, crying does seem really nice. No, it's not. It I, don't, I don't find it fun. Is that from we're not allowed to cry growing up? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of suppressing, but I think it's just tears are easy to misinterpret, and I don't trust that people will interpret them the way that I would like them to, which they probably won't. I think it's like, oh, fragile, or oh, delicate, or oh, you need a hug, and I think all those things are very condescending and patronizing, and it's like, yeah. no, I'm capable of tolerating my emotions and feeling them. And I don't think that's unfortunately super common to, I guess, respect or trust. You mentioned earlier kind of trusting other people with their emotions. I don't think that's really standard. I don't like, like I have processed my whole childhood and I'll talk about it, no problem. And I won't allow myself to experience the emotions of it because I'm supposed to be post this in a weird mm. way. Yeah, but that person's not interesting. The person who's, who's figured everything out and processed everything. Also, they're lying to themselves <laughs> yes. also. So no, Intellectually, like, I know that. Yeah, it's an indicator of a real moment. To me, that's all we're looking for in life. Real, yeah, mo real yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't even have to talk about it. People can read the book and hear about that. But just even such a lack of boundaries that that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Such lack of boundaries that I felt like any want for a boundary was a betrayal to the person that I was with. And that, of course, led into other areas once I started having intimate yeah. relationships with people. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, if I want something that's just for me, that's not really okay. That means that I don't love them. That's so hard. So as the iCarly thing takes off and you're getting famous and you're making money, do you have access to the money? Is no, there? I didn't see any of it. My mom handled it. And then I had a business manager. He would facilitate things and she would kind of have those conversations. I didn't know any information, really. Right. Did you like know what you made an episode? I did know that. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what's that experience like? You gave her the thing she wanted. You're famous. You're on a hit show for years and you're making money and people recognize you. And you've kind of now given her the thing. Maybe even with some fantasy in your own mind that that would then heal her just like she thought it would heal her. Of course. I think that was exactly the fantasy. And I think it was disappointing to realize that it didn't resolve anything. It didn't make her happier. It didn't make her more stable. It didn't make her more comfortable. I think bitterness started pretty early for me. I couldn't identify it as bitterness. I uh -huh. couldn't identify, of course, the resentment toward her because then I'd feel guilt about it. But I think it really started for me right around the time the show started getting big and then we got picked up for a second season. And I think, yeah, I'm 15 and bitter. Yeah. Were you able to find any joy in it or were you able to decide that it was going to be for you in some way? I had fun. I had some friends on set that was really, I think, important. They're kind of my first friends, really. And then I took an interest in what does the script supervisor do? And oh, how does the camera work? And how are you operating this? And they, you know, let me sit on the little camera seat and pretend to do shots. And some of the crew members were quite nice, but there was also certainly a darkness to that environment led by some people at the top of it. Is it public knowledge? There's a lot of public speculation around uh, okay. certain people, but I felt good at, at acting and yeah, I really, yeah. really liked to feel good at it. I felt like that gave me confidence and felt like I know what to do here. Well, you can good. control it. You have <laughs> yeah, like control exactly. of your instrument. Yeah. What a good feeling. I know what I want to do and I execute it and I get the reaction I want. I have some say in 
this journey now. Yes. And I even remember one of our directors who would do line reads and I just didn't like any of his line reads. I would like do what he wanted, but in a really sarcastic, like I was making fun of what he wanted from me. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that was a lot of what the character wound up becoming. Oh, interesting. I think I was just like, I don't fucking like this line. I don't like the way they're telling me to do the line. I felt like I was kind of making fun of it while I was doing it, but it, I think, worked for what the character was. It was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so when there became a spinoff, at that point, were you excited to have that? Your own show for you to be the Carly of it? Or were you now old enough that you were like embarrassed you were on Nickelodeon? When I first heard about this spinoff, I think I was 16 when I was first told there would be a spinoff. And then by the time that the contracts were happening, it was like 19. So it was a really, really long time coming. I was pretty burnt out. When you're 19, 20, it's not often that the person is like stoked about being on a kid's show. Of course. And if they are, like that's amazing and more power to them for sure. But I was not there. Well, you'd already done 96 episodes of that show at whatever age. Yeah. This is a weird thing. A smash hit live audience right now, I want to say is like 911, that show. And I want to say they might get 5 million viewers on the night it airs. Do you know what iCarly got? What? 11.2 million viewers. It was huge. I remember. I mean, yeah. Well, just by today's standards, it's like 3X of what a popular show is. It was so big. It was. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. Also, your fans are young, so they don't have any awareness of what might be civil. Sure. <laughs> their parents they don't either. Their parents yeah. are the problem, actually. I'm glad you pointed that out. The kids are never the problem. They kind of want to say hi, and the parents are like, oh, oh, get in there, Michael. Get in. Just like pushing the kid in. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. They think they're doing something great for their kid. Yes. The kid generally doesn't want to do that. Totally. Because that was a Christmas because of Frozen. Mm-hmm. No eight-year-old wants to know that Anna is a human being. It's like so abstract. This this is Princess Anna. And the kid's like, what? No. Princess Anna is a cartoon. What the fuck are you talking about? Anyhow. Yeah. yeah. It's always for the parent. Yeah. That show ended quickly. We did one really long season. And initially the plan was to do like a really extended season and kind of see what the ratings were. But it got canceled. But not because of ratings, right? I was told that the show ended because of sexual harassment claims against oh. a producer. Okay. Uh-huh. Were you getting any solace with co-stars? Imagine a good deal of the co-stars had parents not as extreme as your mother, but show business parents that were probably living vicariously through their children. Did you get to bond with the other people in that way? I stayed very close with Miranda, who played Carly and I, Carly. Up until our, I think, probably mid-20s, we were kind of inseparable. And it was so comforting to be able to have that relationship. She'd drive around late at night, just the two of us, and we'd just be talking about weird experiences that really not many people can relate to, the specificity of it. I'm so grateful for that friendship and for all that we were able to, as I see it, kind of process together. I hope she was experiencing the same thing, but I certainly was getting so much out of being able to talk with her about it and have somebody who got it. It's so important. Yeah. At some point, your anorexia and bulimia gets to a point where you lose a tooth. Yeah, in an airplane on my way to a press junket in Australia. It's a pretty comedic setup. It really is. <laughs> Shit hit the fan that week. And there your mother died on. at that point? My mom had already died. I was 21 when she died and probably 22 when I lost the tooth. When her mother's in a coma on the last stretch, they're all in there and they each get a chance to say something to mom in the coma with the ostensible goal of like, this will wake her up kind of a thing. Oh. And Jeanette announces to her, Mom, I'm down to 89 pounds. This is what I've got. Okay, Marcus is going to move home. Dustin's getting married. I got to gotta oh, bring the big guns here. Man. 
I know. I mean, of course, it's just how warped my thinking was at the time. It was so genuine. You were proud of that and that was going to be the thing that would save her. It was truly, truly the thing I was proudest of. I thought as significant of milestones as my brothers had to offer, this was such a connecting piece for my mom and I. And this was something that she taught me. This was something that she knew about. This is something she had. She'll be proud of this in a way that nothing else will resonate in the way that this will. Wow. How do you confront an eating disorder? I'm pretty ignorant. In that. It was a combination of dialectical behavioral therapy and then schema. Are you familiar with schema therapy? Uh -uh. You start out by filling a very extensive questionnaire and it kind of assesses your way of thinking. There's kind of nine key ways of thinking based on this schema chart. And your therapist uses this questionnaire to help lead your therapy experience. How did you start that advance? Did you have a mentor or something? Like, did you start researching this? My boyfriend at the time had said that he wanted me to get help or that he did not want to continue the relationship, okay. that it was really important and so it was disrupting. Consequences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then my sister-in-law also found out it was Thanksgiving. I was with my brother and sister-in-law, went to the bathroom and I stepped out of it and she was standing there and she was like, mm, mm-hmm. no, you need to get help. I respect yeah. her so much. Damn, that's so cool that she did that, that she knew how much my instinct was going to be to run away, to stop talking to her, but she said it. It's so cool. And you listen to both of them. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay. Your mom dies. There's no reason for you to act now. If you're going to continue it, you got to figure out, do I want to do it? Because at this point, you've been doing this for 15 years. And what's that exploration like? I remember first mentioning it in therapy. Like my therapist was going to look at me and be like, no, you have to keep acting. Like right. I expected that reaction because yeah. that's what I had been told by my mom the whole time. And it was just met very plainly with like, okay, so what would it look like if you didn't? And exploring it even felt terrifying. Yeah. And so much of my identity was wrapped up in it that I didn't know how to let it go. And I really went back and forth and back and forth. And at the time I was on a Netflix show and eventually came to terms kind of with my therapist. Okay, once this show ends, I'm going to just let that be the end of the acting career for me. And then the show ended within months of that. And it felt very simple. I told my agents, hey, I don't want to keep doing this. And it was literally like a three minute call and it was easy. Then it was not easy after that. Yeah, so how old are you at that point? I was probably 24. It's a lot of years left, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're like, like a like, okay, retired, retired basketball player yeah. at 29. Truly, I think about that a lot in regards to athletes and how they kind of experience that similar, okay, so now the thing that I did that was me that I put so much of myself into is just done? Like, yeah, it's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, what now? So I threw myself kind of into recovery and working on the eating disorders. And for a while, recovery really was the thing that filled me up. But then the terrifying thing happened where then I'm not engaging in any sort of eating disorder behavior. I was able to get a handle on the binging, the purging, the restricting. And I'm going, well, I have all this extra energy. <laughs> yeah, and brain power. And like, what <laughs> to do? So that was not fun. But that's when I started filling up that space with writing and really focusing my energy there. You'd written stuff for the Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Three yeah. years and you wrote for Huffington Post. I have to say, the addiction I, I am most sympathetic to is eating disorder because you have to eat. You have to continue to do the thing that you are struggling with. It's like uniquely bad. Like if you had to gamble three times a day, if you're a gambling actor, you had to have sex with a stranger three times a day. It's right. really next right. level addiction to confront, I feel like. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because in therapy, my experience of it, his name was Jamie. He said, it's going to be hard. You know, you'll probably have a lot of slips. Don't let those slips become slides. Recovery is a lifelong process. 
I wish that that wasn't a disclaimer that was said to everyone because I am open to the idea that at some point I may experience a slip with an eating disorder. Yeah. I'm not expecting it. I don't want it in any way, but I don't obsess about food. My itch is not for food. I think that's where the love addiction comes in because yeah. that's where the itch has gone recently. Yeah. Freed of the obsession, as they promise. I guess of one. Of one. Yeah, yeah. Of one. It's like finding just the least bad one, right. essentially. So the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died, started as a one-woman show. Sort of. I started the book from scratch, so I see them as two kind of separate pieces. Was the one-woman show, though, called that? It is. And then, sadly, you finished that and started performing it, and you got to do that for two months, and then COVID happened. Yeah, yeah. It was was really disappointing. It was a bummer. (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) So you returned to doing it live? What do you think? I did. I did another run in L.A. last year, and then I felt like it was time to put it to rest for now, and who knows, in the future. It's just a lot to do that kind of thing every night. I was doing it twice a night. It's a lot. Wow. Fuck yeah. yeah. How long was it? An hour 15. That's a big output. Yeah. 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 Now you've said you're retired from acting. Do you think there's a world in which you would desire it again? There's something that acting does to my nervous system that feels unhealthy, but I see it ultimately as a healthy way of scratching the itch. And I think I'm at this place where I'm looking for healthy ways to scratch the itch. And... I love writing, but I'm not getting it from writing, being there in that solitude. Like I need something that's like putting my nervous system on edge. Yeah. And I've started entertaining the idea of acting. Like it hit me so suddenly, this is a couple months back, that the idea even had come to my, because I thought I had for sure put it behind me. I was never going to do it. And I had so much baggage. Yeah. You know, it it carried such a like, ugh, kind of a gross energy to me. And then I started thinking about it in a way that I was intrigued. Right. And I was like, maybe there's a way of doing this in a way that's healing and I can free myself of the baggage. It's probably like people who do BDSM, sincerely, where it's like you want to act out your trauma, but you want to be in control. I can imagine you wanting to act if you wrote it or maybe you were directing it where it felt safe for you and you might love it. When did you start acting? 1995, I moved here. 1996, I auditioned for The Groundlings. So that's when I started. I didn't like do it in high school or anything. So 26 years ago. I have a similar thing. I'm hesitant to say I've retired from acting because to me, that feels like my ego a little bit. Oh, interesting. And it feels like me declaring I have power over it because it's such a powerless Mm. job. What I know is I love doing this and I love being with my kids all the time and I don't want the time commitment of it. And any moment I was doing that, I could be making this thing better, be producing more shows and I just enjoy that more. Yeah. And then these tattoos represent that, right? Like I stopped getting tattoos because it's a pain in the ass to get them covered in a makeup chair. And then last year I was like, oh, I'm going to get the sleeve I've always wanted. So I don't know. It's very tricky. I don't know what to say about it. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's my ego. The punk rock kid in me is like, oh, I'm taking myself out of your pageant. And that's my ego. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. (laughs) I did the dance for a long time and I'm not doing the dance anymore. I want to do what I want with my hair. I want to wear the clothes I want to wear. I don't want to smile and tap dance my way through life. Yeah. If I'm getting super into my ego, I'm attracted to bravery. I know this is something people generally can't quit because your fear is like, well, if I quit, I can never come back. Sure. And so to make a final decision like that feels like getting divorced or getting married. Like, oh, this is permanent. Mm. And so I think maybe my ego in some way is like, I'm brave enough to do this thing that I know a lot of my friends would like to do. But all I'm saying is I'm trying to approach it at like, yeah, today I don't want to act. I don't need to really declare that in a month I won't want to or in five years. I'm going to resist the urge to say like, I'm done. 
labeling something as ego or even being curious about if it is ego, how helpful is that for you? What do you find that it does for you? Well, I guess I have to always check it against this thing where how much of this is, is a response to my childhood? I don't want to be doing things in mm. response to my childhood at 47. Mm. I guess that's the ultimate goal, right? Mm. So I don't want to be saying, I, just I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. I don't want to be punk rock in that I told this place to fuck off. I don't want that. When I have that luxury, I want to make sure I do things I want to do, not to be a reason of I'm tough and I'm cool and all these other things. I bet five times a day I'm like going, am I a narcissist? Like, I got to run through this checklist yeah. to make sure I'm not a narcissist. Like, I'm sure. a high alert to not be a narcissist. Yeah. Do you have that? Yeah, I do. Narcissist check, authenticity. Am I doing this to be cool? Am I doing this because I think it says something about me? Measuring that up against authenticity is probably my most common one. What's truly in my bones? This feels right. This feels in some way, you know, spiritually connected versus what is just me being reactionary. Yeah, it's hard, though, when you've had to unlearn bad habits, because sometimes your instincts are the problem. So you're used to being like, what's the instinct? Is it a good one? Is it one I need to correct? Like, there's a lot of stuff that has to go through your head if you're trying to better yourself. Yes, I do the gut instinct check so often of, is this a good gut instinct that I should listen to? Or is this a unhealthy pattern from childhood exactly. gut instinct that will get me into trouble and is self-sabotage, self-destructive? And it's not easy. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know the difference. Yes. Oh, totally. To be honest with yourself, I don't want to call it the meaning of life, but it is the singular task. From that leads everything else you might want. Do you have this? See, again, I'm older than you and it rears its head way more now. But the villain in my story is my dad. He's not comparable in any way to your mother. Despite that, I had for most of my life been defining myself in opposition to him. And unfortunately, I'm very fucking similar to him. <laughs> and it's like, at what point do uh, I embrace that and then just try to mitigate the parts where it went too far with him? So, I mean, you're your mother's daughter. On some level, you have her genetics and all that. Do you see at all her in you at any points? Yes. When I'm around my brothers, too, they'll notice just the way that I say certain things, the way that I gesture with my hands. And then there are the more unfortunate moments where I'll say something I'm not proud of or behave in some way that I'm not proud of. And I'm so quick to be like, that's my fucking mom. That's her. That's that piece that I want so badly to not be. She did have some nice qualities and could be very charming and, and could really find the good in anybody. And I'd like to have those qualities and none of the bad ones, but that's not how it works. It's not like super on my mind, but it definitely comes up for me. Yeah. Okay. So here's the time for the compassion. Okay. Genetically, clearly, she probably had some biochemical issues like bipolar. And I don't know what causes borderline personality disorder, but I'm imagining it's some kind of a chemistry thing. Maybe you match with trauma. I don't know. I don't know enough about that one. I only know the pattern of it, which once I learned it, I was like, oh, I know people like that. Yeah. Like they meet people, they become obsessed with people and they fall in love with people. And then they create some story in their head where now that person's their arch nemesis. Yes, 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 yes. So she definitely had some biochemical stuff. What do you think additionally happened to her that made her the way she was? I know she definitely experienced various kinds of abuse in her childhood. She shared a couple instances and she was very scared. I think she just had a lot of fear in her. And I don't think she had a good support system around her. I think she made a lot of choices that she regretted and didn't really know how to come to terms with. Was she ever on any medicine? Never on medicine. Yeah. 
I've had like touches of the manic. I've been very grateful in that I'm not generally that way. But mm. when I've had it, I do recognize, well, it's impossible to assemble your thoughts in a way that could be productive. The way you're obscuring the information that's coming in is so dramatic that you don't really have a shot at. Being reasonable. I, maybe mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that. Maybe someone that's like really well-versed in CBT or whatever would be able to do that. When I've had those little spells, I just am in a different reality than other people. Sure. In the purest sense. Mm. So I don't know how someone stuck in that reality for significant chunks of their year starts walking up the mountain that is recovery or healing. I don't know how often she made any kind of contact with reality because of the mental illnesses and also the Mormon element certainly played a piece or the way that she did Mormonism. And then the acting world, which she had her own interpretation of that I don't think was reality. I don't know if it's because she couldn't tolerate reality because that was too painful or if it's just because she didn't have the tools to go there, didn't know how to. Yeah, I guess in closing, I would say about her, and, and this is what I said, my prediction is that this will evolve for many more years to come for you. And I think in one way, if you ever have kids, it'll evolve in this very bizarre way, which it has for me and thinking about my father, which is recognizing that I wasn't the victim as much as he was. Wow. And that mm. your mother died on her deathbed having been the person she was. That's a price I don't ever want to pay. I don't want to be on my deathbed knowing I used them and stole from my children. That's the worst thing that could happen to me. I'd way rather be the person that got stolen from in this story I'm telling than the person who steals from my kids. So I have compassion for my dad. I found out he was stealing from me like on his death, you know, while I was caring for him. And he knew I knew. I don't need to punish him. That's what he knew right before he died. I can't imagine that. Yeah. So I have sadness and compassion for the mistakes at this point because he died with them. I get to not, and you get to not, and I pick me. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, any day. Were you scared of having children? No, couldn't wait. Wow. Probably in a weird way like your mother. I couldn't wait to give kids the thing I think I wanted and needed, which is egomaniacal. In some bizarre way. He's really close to his mom. Incredibly it, close. A little bit different dynamic in that way. Yes. Like total mama's boy. Thinks she's the greatest person alive. I have a fantasy of what they can be without all the trauma, which is like, it's a second chance for yourself, but to be done in a way, you know. Sure. It's weird. It's ego driven. I get it. And I try to check it all the time, but it's happening. So I can relate to your mother going like, I'm going to support this little girl the way I wish my parents supported me. Mind you, she's in a fairy tale. But regardless, I at least relate to the motivation of I'm going to give a kid the thing I think I deserved. Yeah. And that unchecked and unmanaged can turn into craziness. This has been so lovely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah what an incredible. It's been so nice talking with you both. I'm glad my mom died. In addition to being an insanely interesting, intriguing, potentially healing story that you've already heard some of, it's crazy well-written, which is Thanks. proof that she was already published a bunch of times in a bunch of reputable places. They don't really do that just because you're famous. I just want to point that out as I'm finding out right now as I try to get something published. Yeah, so it's just a really incredibly well-written book. I'm quite excited to finish it. It's not saccharine at all. Like this could be a really saccharine indulgent ride and that would be so rough and I'd see right through it and yep. I'd hate it. And it's just not that. It's just like, here's the real story if you want to hear it. I'm so glad like uh, it reads that way. I certainly tried to make it that way. Yes. Incredibly Thanks well so done. Much. And yeah. this was so fun. Yeah. 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 As much as you can describe like sorrow is fun. <laughs> I, I like it.
Connection is fun. Yeah. Yes. All right, Mrs. McCurdy, thank you so much. And I hope everyone gets I'm Glad My Mom Died. Easy title to remember. It's out now. I'm glad my mom died. And Empty Inside is available everywhere. I am not doing the podcast right now, but, oh. but I'll probably do it again at some Resume. point. Old okay. episodes. Yeah, yeah. Go check old out episodes. some old episodes. Yeah. Empty Inside. All right. This is so wonderful. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, Thank me too. You. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. It Mm. was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. We are supported by Canva. Good presentations take time. Or they used to, because now you have Canva to help you make amazing slides fast. I'm talking like seconds, thanks to the power of AI and Canva presentations. All you have to do is start with a prompt like a sales presentation for a tech company. Then sit back and let Canva work its magic. It's incredible what AI is doing. I'm seeing all kinds of image generated. I follow these architectural websites that it's all AI generated. It's just mind-blowing what it comes up with. You just tell it. What you want and it'll do it. Boom. It's a time saver and it's easy for any department to use. And it's great for companies of any size. Even Fortune 500 companies rely on Canva. Finish your work faster and generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Bold choice. If flies are eminent and you are head to toe white right now. I know. <laughs> they're not coming today. How would you know, though? You said you don't know anymore. I don't. But I just know they're not coming today. On a spiritual level. Yeah. I know them well. Your you know? spidey fly senses? Yeah. <laughs> You've somehow synced with Natalie through me, I think. <gasps> they're very potent, my flies. They're very strong. Apparently. Strong-willed. Well, what's interesting is because yours was so predictable. I think people around you had synced to you, but yours, you had to be the driving force because yours were non, non-negligible. That's right. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. <laughs> not non-negligible. I mean, that's not even a thing. <laughs> also, I was on my flies in Spain. Mm. Okay. They came with me to Spain. <laughs> they <laughs> they travel. Met me. They did meet me in Spain. And, wow, they travel internationally. Yeah. That's incredible. Did you have to pay extra for the flight? Well, they provide their own transportation, right? You're not providing transportation (laughs) for your flies. Yeah, they're flies. They fly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Farther than an albatross. You know those albatrosses fly several thousand miles. And they're so heavy. 
E, e, are they? Well, when they're, they're on huge. you. huge. Yeah, you know, that's the whole, an albatross. It's well, an albatross. It's the metaphor that if it's on you, you're weighted down. Well, yeah. I think, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm not that. sure about that. I think albatross were seen as a harbinger of bad things to come. When you were at sea. Yeah. So albatross signals trouble coming. Oh, I thought it was, it's a weight. Rob, will you look it up? Yeah, they can fly nearly 500 miles in a single day. I know that. Wow. 500 in a day without setting down. How far is that? From here to where? Okay, so from here to Vegas is 280 miles. Okay. So from here to almost Salt Lake City. Yeah, but like we could do that. No, we couldn't (laughs) walk it. We couldn't run it. We couldn't drive. We could fly there. (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course we could, of course. What? Well, we can fly thousands of miles. We can fly 10,000 miles down to Australia. I thought maybe they could like go to India. Well, they do fly. They could. No, only 500 miles. A day. A day. But they I mean. migrate around the world. I know, but I thought you meant they could go to India today. I think their full migration is like 3,000 miles. Rob, you stay on your task at well, hand. I got that. Now. I got you do. That. What's that? What's their so, full migration? No, not that. I'm talking about the good luck, bad luck. Oh, okay. Thing. Yeah, tell us that. So the main belief is that they carry the souls of dead sailors, mariners, Ew. mariners, oh. dead mariners. Sighting one flying overhead was considered good luck, as sailors believed that the soul of a mariner carried had come to protect them from harm or bring winds for their ships. Sails. Oh, so good luck. Yeah, we had what? it flipped. Okay. I can look for bad luck. Well, yeah, look for bad luck, but that no. doesn't surprise me at all. Because I, I, even as I was saying, it's a harbinger of bad things. I just know it's it's a signal of something. I wasn't very positive about that, no, so I'm not surprised. An albatross is a very large white seabird. If you describe something or someone as an albatross around your neck, you mean that's what I was saying. I said shoulders. You mean that they cause you great problems from which you cannot escape, or they prevent you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, they're okay. symbol of burden and regret. It says too. So it's a complicated bird. It says there's both, both wow. good no, and bad. Luck. You guys, I guess no. albatrosses are a glass half full, half empty. No, yeah, this is too confusing. If right. anyone says you're an albatross, trust me, it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. No, okay, because generally I've been told that several times, and I was like, oh, they think I'm a dead mariner soul. About to bring them good luck. <laughs> no one ever has said that. The idiom albatross around one neck refers to a heavy burden someone carries, especially a burden that torments someone incessantly. So I think there might be multiple saints. So albatross around your neck, I can see. That's your saying, yeah. and you were right. <laughs> but I think there's a different sailing albatross reference. It comes reference. from sailing. It does. Yeah, this says... Um, my life, my love, and my lady <laughs> is the sea. Dee, 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 dee. This says this idiom comes from the 19th century poem, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner. Oh, and it heavily references the albatross? Yeah, around your neck. And then oh, it, and it's just, too heavy. And it's I read heavy. this in English class. Okay. <sighs> but, um, it says good omens in life and bad omens in death. Oh. Rob. <sighs> Why why can't everyone be right? I, no, because you can't just say everyone's right. If there's there's two different debates on the table. Albatross, you're on your neck. That saying, you've won. I know, but you're you the victor. There might also be a another saying, which is like, don't spot an albatross. Okay. Let's say that that's a separate saying from albatross around your neck. Yeah. Oh, you want to interject? You're not, Monica's not going to like this. Okay. I have from the poem the rhyme of the ancient mariner the mariner shoots an albatross 
which causes the curse on the ship. Oh. And causes to suffer terrible mishaps. Okay. Because it had the soul of a mariner in it. But that doesn't mean it's good luck. But it's good luck in life, but bad Until luck in you, death. Since well, they killed it, it, it became bad luck. Oh my God. Luck. Now you guys are just. Well, making no, look, there's. No, no, hold on. There's room for this. So, what the, the error that was made by the sailor is that he killed it. Had they let it fly by, it might have been a harbinger of good things okay. and great fortune. It might have been, but I don't think it's saying it was good luck and then it was bad luck. Because he shot Because it. he shot something that was good luck. It's bad luck because he killed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I, you guys are an albatross to me. So uh -huh. I'm around gonna, your neck. Yeah, let's move on. It's around my neck. They travel 10,000 miles in their migration. Oh. 10,000 miles. That's how, to India, baby. How long does it take them? A couple hours. <gasps> That's cool. They fly five thousand miles an hour. <laughs> well, if they fly five hundred miles a day, that is twenty days. They can fly to India in twenty days. Twenty days? Yes, it's an animal. It takes me one day. Monica, <laughs> you should be so much more impressed. I'm not because okay. the thing is, it's really cool if it is better than technology. Right. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, I guess that's where we get into the sailfish, my my deep admiration for the sailfish. Because yes. it is faster than jet skis. Yeah, that's cool. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I could ride on the albatross, when if I could be on oh, its neck. Like Khaleesi. Yes. Yeah. That you was. You might be small enough. <laughs> if anyone could do it, it would be you. Little tiny mouse on top of the albatross. Oh. Out and about for six years in your lap of the world. Maybe, can you incorporate this into the children's book about me? In with the, the town car? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Although they're vastly different genres. One is fantasy and one is like Wall Street. One's high <laughs> finance and the other is a fantasy. But you could mix and it'd be cool. Smash up. Mash up? Mash up. The big ones can have 11 to 12 foot wingspan. You could definitely sit on, 12 sit foot. on the back of that. Monica, I want you to think about what 12 feet is. The couch you're on right now is six feet. Yeah, it's it's double you. That's, That's fucking cool. nuts. Okay, so see, I just want to be honest about what's cool and what's not cool. Right. It's size, very cool. I also think it's migration <laughs> as the longest of any animal on the planet, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but it takes like so long. They're so okay. slow. Okay, all right. All right, next topic. <laughs> so many airplanes are whizzing by them. Absolutely. Anyway. Ooh, Ooh, how many birds do you think that get killed by airplanes a year? Um, Six. No. <laughs> no, I know there's like millions of flights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And probably, I don't know. I just don't know. You know, oh, not going to do it. What? You hate birds. I don't hate birds. Um, on my hierarchy, uh -huh. Maslow's hierarchy. Of needs, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're low. Like they're on my like things I would hate to see be killed. Yeah. Uh, an orangutan, a chimpanzee, a mm. dolphin, an elephant, a rhinoceros. What about a crow. But that's a bird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of birds that get sucked up into engines <laughs> on takeoff are generally like seagulls and stuff. And I got to say, I don't. Yeah, we're getting in. That's no point to this. <laughs> I would offer up in tribute. Oh, my God. What is the actual number? 500 seagulls to save one crow. That's bad. What's your number? No, I don't. You think it's tit for tat? You don't. You'd be lying. No, I, I don't. Look, you're going to be mad at me. No, I love crows because you love crows. Yeah. You also recognize they're incredibly smart. So smart. Yeah. They know that you're killing them. 
Yeah, but we don't know about seagulls. We can hearken, I guess. I, don't, I, I like birds. Oh, okay. Great. On my Maslow's, they're pretty high because they don't bother me. They never come into the coffee line. Right. And they can fly. That's so cool. Yeah. They're pretty. They can see all these things we learned from. Oh, they're very cool. Yeah. Let me ask, pose this question another way. Yeah. How many wild javelinas? I don't know what that is. It's a wild pig. Oh, okay. How many wild javelinas would you offer to save a black rhino? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice hit an interesting <laughs> active on that one. Don't make fun of me. Well, come on. It's good. It's, it's good content. Um, Your flies are coming. I'm going to be more gentle. Thank you. Okay. How many javelinas to save one of the last remaining black rhinos? Oh, are they almost They're the endangered? most endangered of oh, all. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there might be a more endangered rhino, but rhinos in general are not doing well. Are wild javelinas doing great? Uh, yeah, they're populous. Okay. This is a, I guess, utilitarian mm-hmm. argument. It is. Um, I'll kill all the pigs. Oh my god! I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Half? I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Half of all known javelinas. No, I don't okay. want to. Even right. I don't like animals, but I don't want to do that. Right. Let's not do it. Okay. I'd now. rather kill all the dogs in my coffee line. Oh no! Than- <laughs> That's gonna get you. <laughs> I'm just terminated. kidding. I'm kidding. I I don't want any, any dogs. dogs to die. Yeah. I'll be very clear. Even about though that. they go to heaven, <laughs> which is weird, because since they do go to heaven, you know. <laughs> Let's get them there. That's supposed to be the place. I don't want any dogs to die. And I don't want any birds to die. But you know what I don't mind that dies? What? Snakes? Yeah. Yeah. And like little bugs. Oh, I don't care about insects. Yeah. I'm sure someone does. Well, a lot of people do. Our hornet lady. Yeah. Our hornet guest. And Kristen always takes the bugs outside. Yeah. I saw Jennifer Gardner do that too on a video. And I was like, wow, a lot of these people are doing that. They're pretty similar. Yeah. I took those mice outside the bus humanely. That is different, even though I was going to kill mine. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to. Right. It was you or it. Yeah. It was a mouse versus a mouse. We it weren't was even playing. Mouso we mouso. I don't want to uh, talk about the fact that I almost killed a mouse. That was a good one, though. Mouso we mouso. It was great. <laughs> I think that should be a cartoon. Mouso we mouso. <laughs> well, I don't really get it. Mano we mano. Man to man. Oh, sure. But mouse to mouse. Mouso e mouse. Mouso e mouso. It's great. It almost sounds like Mousimo, yeah, the clothing designer who's yeah. married to <laughs> Ashley Olson. <laughs> no, no, I know. The, I know. the lady. Full house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Becky, Aunt Becky. Aunt Beck. Remember it was. Well, I worked that. with. Right. But I, and I love her. And I hate when we talk Lori about Loughlin. her. Lori Laughlin. I hate when her name comes up. Because you Because feel... I'm supposed to say. Naughty her, shame on her for the school scandal. But I worked with her and I really liked her Can't a lot. Can you say both? Can you say well, like, I just did. <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. you can say like, ugh, that was bad. But I re- she was really nice. Yeah, I really like her. I mean, more than she was nice. I like her, right? But you, how well do you know her? Wells, I know you guys. I mean, I worked with her. <laughs> <laughs> I have, don't do that. I'm sorry. We're, I keep forgetting we're, we're on thin, thin ice. <laughs> Are you going to be okay in this pitch? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> what if you fucking start flying with your white outfit in the middle of the pitch? Is that like worst nightmare possible <laughs> at you, a fucking network? I thought you meant. And the client's like, is that what you would call them? The prospective buyer is like, what is all that hissing and buzzing? Oh my God, there's flies <laughs> everywhere. 
and then you were re- <laughs> you were panicking and you were cover- you had a found a bi- you ripped a binder off their desk and covered your <laughs> private area. Oh my god! Because you're in all white. Oh my god! You're almost throwing up. This is awful. I know. This is the worst nightmare. This is really bad. Would you start crying immediately? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If it was that bad, yeah. Yeah, flies everywhere, and then you got a binder. I'm just just covered (laughs) in flies. Well, just your crotch would be. Oh. Oh, my God. Who left the window open? This is what the buyer would be saying. Oh, my God. Who left it? Would someone leave their lunch out? Like, he'd be trying to explain (laughs) it, or she. She'd try to be explaining it, and then they'd start, oh. It was the circling around you. <laughs> and you go, oh, can I borrow that binder? Uh. That was a lot. Okay. When you said start flying, I thought you meant on my albatross. Oh, like you left the pitch meeting yeah. on the back of an albatross. That'd yeah. be great. Okay, guys. And then, could, do you mind if I get out on this windowsill? And then your do albatross you comes up. opening the window for me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jeanette. I loved this episode. Me too. It's so good. And when we interviewed her, her book wasn't out yet. Yeah. And since we've interviewed her, her book's been like number one on everything. So I'm so happy for her. I know. Me too. She talks about DBT, which is a type of therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. Okay. And it has these modules. She said there's four but in the, sometimes it's saying four and sometimes it's saying five. The internet has all. Kind of like the albatross thing. It Maybe is. it's good luck. Maybe it's bad I luck. I don't believe in. I'm, I'm having a hard time with the internet. You are lately. Yeah, because how can it can't be good luck and bad luck at the same time. It can't be four modules and five modules at the same time. Well, maybe depending on the severity of your trauma, they'll pop a fifth module in there. No. I don't even know what module means. It's like are you skills. Explain it to me? Yeah. The four modules of psychological and emotional function that DBT focuses on include mindfulness, mm-hmm. interpersonal effectiveness, mm-hmm. distress tolerance, mm. and emotional regulation. Oh. Now, on the one that says five, it says core mindfulness skills, distress tolerance skills, emotional regulation skills, interpersonal effectiveness skills, and middle path skills. Oh. That's a fifth. Okay. But most of them are four, from what I can see. I guess modules is referencing like when you have a class and there's compartments of study that make up the course. Is yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think it's just like there are these components to the therapy, these four structural mm. components. Okay. Okay. Buckets. Sure. If you need to he- round wicker baskets. Yeah. I just, I, I can't one. imagine I'm the only one struggling with the word module. I was just okay. kind of attempting to understand it the best I could. When you think of modular, what do you think of? I only have one context in which I'll say modular. Mm. It's like there are pieces that you assemble. So ships began manufacturing modularly. So the hull has compartments. Mm-hmm. That way if one area of the ship mm. is punctured, the other areas were built in modules and they keep it buoyant. Well, what happened with the Titanic? That is a curiosity. <laughs> it split through a few of the modules and then some the pressure then blew through one of the other modules as it went up. So it mm-hmm. shouldn't have. It was supposed to be unsinkable. Though. That's why they said. Because I, I think know. it was one of the first boats that were built that way it was and also it's a lesson in jinxing yes and also it wasn't ready they took it out before it was ready is that part of it i think so it also cut along the side which i don't think anyone's anticipating like you know 
It is kind of like just like a can opener. That, that yeah. I love that movie. Did you hate that movie because it was popular? No, I liked it. I liked it. You know, I'd had that personal experience having witnessed the the Titanic sticking out of the water in the middle of the night when I was driving through Mexico. What? You remember the story? Colleen and I were driving down to the Baja. Okay. And it was late at night. Okay. And far ahead down the road all lit up was this enormous ship that was sinking i just told the story the other day on here no you didn't do you remember this rob no i know i did anyways okay so colleen and i were driving from la down to i think rosarita one of those those little tiny uh towns on the baja Mm -hmm. and on the pacific side of the baja we're driving. It's pitch black. We're between towns. There's nothing. We start seeing something very, very well lit in the ocean. And as we're getting closer and closer, she's like, is that a fucking ship? And I'm like, oh, my God, is that a ship? Because you could see the steam, uh, big smokestacks, but they were horizontal. And now we realized, oh, that is a boat, and it's fucking sinking nose first. The whole back of the boat was out of the water. And as we got closer and closer and closer, it became abundantly clear that that is exactly what it was. They were filming Titanic, but we didn't know about the movie Titanic yet. And they filmed it in Mexico by Rosarita. It was not till we got to our hotel that it was explained to us by the person at the front desk, oh, they're filming a movie called The Titanic, and that's what you saw. Wow. Yes. So I, of course, had this heightened interest in seeing the movie because I had actually had a real-life experience where I was like, what the fuck? Because mm. they, they were at that point in shooting the movie where they had it all the way straight up and down vertical going into the ocean. Cool. Totally incredible thing to happen upon while driving down a desolate road in Mexico. Very weird. You don't know that story? No. You've never told that to me. Oh, my gosh. I swore I told it on here, but I no. I believe you that I didn't. God, I got so nervous when you started this story because it really sounded like you thought you happened upon the sinking of the Titanic. The real Titanic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did. <laughs> well, the real did. Titanic from the movie. But back to did I like it or not? It's a movie that um, I totally enjoyed. I recognize the overwhelming skill it took to execute that movie. I was like blown away yeah. from the endeavor and it was a love story mm. and those aren't my you know it's not what it's not what i run to the theater to see is a love story it's weird because you you like romance i like sexy stuff you don't like romance uh in life you do oh i live for it that's what i mean watching other characters in movies like for the full thrust of a film to be two people falling in love not generally I can think of a handful that I absolutely love, yeah. like um, Eternal Sunshine. Mm. But that also had this crazy component of sci-fi to it. Yeah. But I did love that one, and I liked the heartbreak of it. And I loved her. Mm. But in general, I don't like The Notebook. Those are not definitely not for me. Now, who are you going to write in as my love interest, the little girl? On the Albatross? Yeah. So the little girl has a, a boyfriend? She needs a love interest. Okay, it doesn't have she's... to be a boyfriend. You can, you're the author, so you can decide what it is. But or do, who ethically, it is. are we concerned that this is like, in my mind, this was like a six or seven year old yeah. little girl? Yeah. Okay. It shouldn't be an adult. It's man. a playmate. Who's your playmate? Maybe they um, take things uh, up a uh, notch. Uh, oh, wow. What, snuggles? 
Maybe they when test they're scared, stuff. They test at stuff. six. Okay, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where this the series is going to go. As the owner of a seven-year-old, I'm trying to wrap my head around me rooting for Delta to have a uh, boyfriend. A, a boyfriend. Yeah, she did. Oh, I can't. I'm not allowed to say that. Oh, okay. She told me a secret once. I'm not allowed to oh, say. Oh, good. Well, good. She needs a safe place to tell secrets. Yeah, well, she told other people too. Well, that's kind of <laughs> how she does her secrets. <laughs> it's kind of like the way I kept. The F1 car, completely secret. Yeah. But but for five people, I told. <laughs> exactly. And in my mind, I really had kept it secret. Yeah. I and know, I bet in so her cute. mind, she does think she has kept of things course. secret. Yeah. It wasn't anything. Ob- obviously, I know when to break that promise. I'm not. Uh, as long as it's not an adult. That's the only thing you have to come to me. What about. if I knew that and I was like. I would, pick- I would kill you dead <laughs> in know. the street. <laughs> Tops Pastrami. Tops Pastrami is a place that she didn't know in pasadena (laughs) yeah yeah and uh it has four out of five stars on yelp okay and it has 1141 reviews not five out of five not four point do they do point stars from what i've heard about it i was expecting to hear 4.5 stars yeah but there's always going to be haters people do hate and probably the place gets overhyped to people yeah well and it has a lot of reviews so right I hope Top sends us, um, having heard us <laughs> yeah, me talk too. about how great it is, having never tried it. I hope they send us a big box of pastrami mm. wrapped in some kind of moisture-proof container so that it stays moist. You know who was absolutely dedicated to this place it was Max Burkholder, who played Max on Parenthood. Oh. He was absolutely he loved all it. in on Tops. So that's why I know of it mostly. Oh. Okay. And he was a bit of an amateur foodie, like oh. even as a young man. And they were young man interests. They were like the best hot dog, best hamburger. Yeah. Introduced me to this place, the uh, Dog Hoss, not unlike Dan yes. Gaines' Beef Hoss. Yep. Uh, dog Hoss. In Burbank? There's one in Burbank. Yeah. I think there's one in Pasadena maybe. Okay. And they're serving chili dogs on Hawaiian sweet rolls. Mm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So he introduced me to that. Nice. Yeah, he loved Tops. Okay, the Coogan account, We've this has come up a lot. And <laughs> this has come up too many times. <laughs> so honestly, and it, it came up again, and the percentage was a little unknown. And 15? It's, fi- it's 15, yes. Okay, so you talked about TV shows and viewership, and you said 911 has like the most. The highest yeah, yeah. share. Blue Bloods has the highest. It does. Uh-huh. And With then, what, a 1.0? Well, I'm just looking at viewers. Uh, oh, well, this is where we got to, you'll hate this, but this is where we got to get into domestic and worldwide. Uh-oh. Oh my if you do God. total viewers, that's not exactly what networks care about. So there's brackets. You'll get a total viewers number mm-hmm. and then you'll get a market share number. Yeah. And that is for the demo, eight, yeah. 18 to 50 or whatever the fuck the demo is these days. And they really only care about the market percentage of the demo. Because yes. there was all these shows. There's tons of shows that are famously attract old audiences. There's some famous examples of shows that had like 15 million viewers. They were by, by far and away the most viewers. But they would have a really small in the demo right. share because all the viewers were old people. And old people yeah. don't buy as much stuff. Yeah. So the advertisers don't want to pay as much for those viewers. So when I was saying as the highest rated show, I just want to be clear that I was I was talking about in the demo market share. Okay, got it. But you were talking about the number of viewers. So were you talking about in the demo? 
Yeah, I was talking, I was saying 911, I believe, has the highest ratings, is what I said, ratings. No, you but, didn't, because oh. we were talking actual numbers, because we were comparing iCarly. Oh, okay. So I just want to clarify. Are you- but that, too, is confusing, because iCarly only had viewers in the demo. Right. Yeah, so I might have been, you know, being willy-nilly with their viewers were in the demo implicitly. Yeah. Anywho, hit yeah, me. Yeah, you said $5 million on the night. And iCarly had 11.2 million yeah. on the night. This was 2021, though, October. Though 911 was slightly down in adults, 18 to 49, from a week ago, its 0.8 rating was good enough to lead broadcast in prime time. It averaged 5.28 million viewers. That is what you said. A tick higher than last week. I guess what's tricky is if there was an article about the most successful show on television, it would be solely looking at what has the highest market share in the demo. Mm-hmm. They might write another article about total viewers, but anytime they're talking about a show winning the night, they're talking about right. the market share number, the point, whatever, or one point. And this is what I would say about Parenthood. It was canceled with like a 2.0 market share. Uh-huh. And 911's winning by a long, a long shot at 0.8. That's how much TV has fallen. But this fallen. is Monday. Is that the best day? That's This is tricky because it's like it's hard to. Yeah. I don't know what the best day is. Um, yeah, May 2022, Fox took the top spot on Monday for both ratings and viewership. The network with its 911 franchise averaged a 0.67 rating and the key advertiser covered a demographic of viewers ages 18 to 49, as well as 5.1 million total viewers across primetime. All right, let's see here. Okay, we do talk about borderline personality disorder. Again. <laughs> We didn't like hunker down on it, but it okay. was, there was a little bit of a question of what causes it. Ooh. And then I looked, Mayo Clinic, very trusted brand. We like Mayo. They're right behind Johns Hopkins. Dot org. For me, I put them totally equal. Equal to Johns Hopkins. Yeah. In addition to environmental factors, such a history of child abuse or neglect, borderline personality disorder may be linked to genetics. Some studies of twins and families suggest that personality disorders may be inherited or strongly associated with other mental health disorders among family members. It also says up to 70% of people with BPD have experienced sexual, emotional, or physical abuse as a child. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. It is. That's where we lean towards the the compassionate take of, of... I can see where someone who's abused and then they hear me say they should, no one should date them... That's pretty rough. That you didn't say no one should date them. Okay. <laughs> you did not say that. Right. I know. But when I say I won't do something, I think some people assume I'm saying everyone shouldn't do okay, something. Okay, but that's not what you said. Not at all. You can have uh, your own boundaries. Yeah, that's right. It's allowed. Said I can't date anyone that's lazy. I can't watch someone just like exist on a couch. And they It's might- so unattractive. And so some lazy person right now is like, you're saying that. You shouldn't love lazy people. But I'm just saying, no, absolutely. Other people should love lazy people. I just, I'm never going to be attracted yeah. to a lazy person. They might be lazy because they had a chronic mono. But that doesn't mean that you <laughs> have to marry them. Right. Somebody else will marry them. How grossed out are you that I've been playing with my chewed up gum this whole fat check? Monica, I hope you know me well enough and know how I feel about you well enough that you could poop right now in your hand and rub it into your hair. Whatever. I know that, but I want you to be honest. It doesn't gross me out at all. Would it gross you out if it wasn't me? Like, is it? I know it's objectively. People have a gum thing. I I don't. I know. I don't. God. (laughs) Tempted to blast everyone today. (laughs) 
Like, well, if also, you have a gum thing, like just chill. Well, Fuck no, why no, you gotta no. care about everything? No, because okay. that goes against what we just said. I know I did. It's okay for someone to have a gum thing. I know. I just can't relate to how gum is so disgusting to people. It's this really funny, chewy thing. It's not food that's disintegrating in front of you. It's not. There's nothing very gross about gum to me. Well, except if if you have halitosis and then you're chewing. Well, hopefully you're chewing gum. Well, if you I have know. Halitosis. I know. I agree. If you have halitosis and you're chewing gum. Yeah. And then you take it out of your mouth and you're, you're spinning it around in your hands. And you're wafting bad smells into the air? Because I do have an issue with bad smells. And if you are wafting, can I tell you the cutest thing I learned about dogs? Oh, sure. Okay. It's in my um, behave book, which oh. I can't stop talking about. And it seemingly is never going to end. It's covered every single wow. known thing in the world. And I don't even think I'm halfway there. But it's talking about how animals communicate through their olfactory yeah. glands and pheromones. Uh-huh. And do you know why a dog wags its tail? Why? Because dogs have a specific pheromone that says, I'm in the mood to play. Oh. And the tail wagging wafts that pheromone out <laughs> in the air. Oh, really? Yes. It's sending a chemical signal to other dogs. I'm, I want to play. How fucking cute cute. is that? They're wafting their I want to play pheromone. That is really cute. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. Okay, so that's really cute that dogs do that. They wave their That is cute. Um, But if you were waving your gum around and it stunk, I would be bummed out. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I'm really sensitive to bad smells. Me too. Hey, look, you know what? I guess that, that person who like hates visually gum. Yeah. Maybe they don't mind stinky smells. Right. And they're probably thinking to me, Who cares? get over it. It smells like shit. I'm like, well, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I don't like the smell of bad breath. It's rough. Okay. I do wonder Uh-oh. how many people like the smell of bad breath. <laughs> I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine, but I'm sure. Well, well, fuck, you meet people that are in relationships and one of the person's breath smells like absolute shit. Yeah. Oh. and you're like fuck man and they're just you see them kissing and necking and they don't care and my thought is well i guess it's never oh they don't care about bad smells it's that somehow their nose doesn't smell exactly. that smell and they're a match made in heaven yeah because his mouth smells like a fucking outhouse <laughs> and she's great with it <laughs> oh wow it's also we really want to get sympathetic i don't do anything to have Good breath. I know. That's what it's. It's uh, yeah. Especially halitosis. I have tons chronic halitosis. of compassion for people with simple chronic halitosis. That was the commercial that was always on. It was. Yeah. If you suffer from simple chronic halitosis, that's the only reason I even know oh, the I word halitosis. You were, I thought you're making a joke about super califragilistic. Well, now that you point that out, it does sound like that. No, simple chronic halitosis. Right. Expialidocious. Why are they a, calling it simple? I don't know, because whatever product was being sold would treat simple chronic halitosis as opposed to complex oh, permanent halitosis, oh. which maybe has no cure. So again, you know, I'm not doing anything yeah. other than I brush my teeth a couple times a day and pack <laughs> my lips full of tobacco. Yeah. I know. It's, it's not really fair. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's one of the great privileges I was born with. Yeah. I'm male. I'm American. I'm tall. And you have good breath. And my breath doesn't smell like shit. I don't even know if it's good. It just doesn't smell like shit. You don't want to be aware of breath. like Yeah, exactly. Neutral. If it's good, it's because you have like a really minty mint in. Yeah, you've just had something tasty or something. It, neutral is what you're going for, I think. Yeah. We talked about this with my Arm & Hammer. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> Big props to A&H. <laughs> All right. Well, 
That's that? That's that. Okay, great episode. I loved her, and I, I applaud her so much. I know. I'm really grateful she came to talk to us. And I'm really happy for her that her book's doing so well. I Me hope too. everyone gets it. I hope it's not an albatross on her. And I hope it is an albatross on her. The good albatross and not the bad albatross. Yeah. Okay. I hope it's lofted into the air and not around her neck. That's right. I love you. Love you.